Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Punk Rock Horror Podcast. I am the Undead Matt. And I'm Krampus Cody. And today, we are here to remind you that if you wake up at 3 in the morning and you see a kid standing in the hallway and you don't have a kid, go back to sleep. Nothing good is going to happen. Just get back <laughs> under the covers and do not come out for the next like 12 to 24 hours. Just We've seen how this ends. It's not going to go good for you. Today's episode is brought to you by Podcast.net. <laughs> so that is our current home where you can find everything Punk Rock Horror Podcast. Please check us out there. Today we are joined by two guests who are so sweet and so amazing and so kind and really have probably some of the coolest, not just awards and nominations under the belt, but also are just really fun people to talk to. I mean, we got to talk to them for just like a few minutes and we already feel very cozy and like comforted and it's nice and I love this. So everybody, please open up your cold dead arms to the fantastic Nancy Holder and Debbie Dottie. Hello. Hi guys. How you doing? Hello. Hello. I think we're nice. <laughs> it's like right now I'm eating someone's face. Have fun, suck them in. I mean, we are in horror after all. As, as camera pans, it goes downwards, and we see a dungeon underneath with people just tied up. So <laughs> you think? We're nice, yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote a story about a hammer once, and my my husband has hidden all the hammers in the house. <laughs> Uh, you're very impactful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's also it's also a hammer pun in itself. <laughs> um, so you are here from Chimera Press here to talk about your latest graphic novel, Mary Shelley Presents Tales of the Supernatural. And without giving too much away to the listeners, we want to give you to the chance to talk about it. What is Mary Shelley's The Chance? Uh, excuse me, Mary Shelley presents Tales of the Supernatural, and how did it come to be? You take it, Deb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I have, uh, I'm, I'm the publisher of Chimera Press, and I'm also an editor. And as, as you know, indie publishing, one person does everything. <laughs> Actually, it's two because of my husband. Um, but anyway... I've known Nancy for a while. We've been in some of the same um, horror anthologies, and uh, we wanted to do something together in my comic book company, Chimera Press. And we wanted to do something for the anniversary of the publication of Frankenstein. But we, we didn't want to do Frankenstein. It's been done so many times. And so we put our heads together, and we came up with this idea of uh, doing Victorian women horror stories and using Mary Shelley and her monster as the crypt keeper, kind of introducing the stories. And, <laughs> That's <yeah>. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the idea so I... is that each there's actually four stories in the in the book. It's weird because we say graphic novel, we don't really have a word for book graphic mm -hmm. book thing. But there are four different stories, and we picked them because the women who told these stories, uh, except for one, in the day that they were writing, were just as famous as any male horror guy you could name of the time period. And they're, they've fallen off the map, or else English majors know about them. And um, so we wanted to bring their stories back into the mainstream, and 
people know who Mary Shelley is or they know about Frankenstein. So, yeah, mm-hmm. she and he are the crypt keepers. And her, her saying, what she says is that because of writing Frankenstein, that she has, she's immortal, that she has fame that has made her last. And so she uses her immortality to dust off the corpses of these other writers and bring their stories back to, to life. So, um, so that's the, the basic conceit. And um, I have to say, uh, Debbie and I really work well together. We've been friends forever. And um, through thick and thin, uh, we hung in there. And I, as a geek, a big horror geek, I probably have <laughs> five or six or seven or 12 pop-up books of Frankenstein now. Because when we were starting to do the novel, I was researching it like crazy. Um, but now I have a huge Mary Shelley library. So anything you want to know about Mary Shelley... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome it was funny yeah. she, she would, she would um, email me or I don't know it, I think we uh, went on um, Slack a lot and she she would say I just found this out about Mary Shelley oh I just found this out about Mary Shelley total nurse <laughs> I went to Italy this now. <laughs> I went to oh Italy and realized oh my god Mary Shelley lived in Italy a zillion times she, Italy was her preferred country mm-hmm. and so I started tracing where she lived and um, where they she was with Percy Miss Shelley her husband who he gets most of the plaques. It'll be like, here he wrote this thing. And they don't even mention that she was there. But, of course, I did. And so, so it was cool. So, oh, that's yeah. so cool. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited. I want to read it so bad. Because, okay, so um, when I was in high school, I was taking AP, AP English class. And uh, we had to read, uh, we got to pick. You know, on one of our assignments, we had to pick a bunch of different stories. And so I, of course, picked the horror books and had to do uh, create. uh, We had to read the two books or read our books and then make it make an entire thing. And I picked uh, Frank Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Bram Stoker's Dracula since they were so short to do both of them. And so (laughs) me and my uh, my classmates, uh, my team, we actually did a Jerry Springer show (laughs) with with Frankenstein's monster. And Dracula on there, and they just like would be go at each other, being super catty about who's the better monster. And it just it makes me so excited about that. Like I just wanted to bring that up because like I think I loved Mary Shelley's Frankenstein so much more than Bram Stoker's Dracula. Really? Like I've always been a Mary Shelley fan, and Frankenstein was like my my huge monster into horror he was always my favorite of the originals like and i'm always gonna have a soft spot for him even though like as i got older i was more into werewolves but like frankenstein mary shelley's frankenstein was my favorite horror book back in high school (laughs) it's a lot of awesome yeah so i'm like ooh, (laughs) sorry (laughs) i think it's amelia Wu, who is our artist on the Mm -hmm. book um did a really wonderful interpretation of Frankenstein. Cool. Yeah, so it's, uh, the art is incredible. It's, you know, it's very moody, and it's, of course, it's Victorian era, um, and she, well, Nancy had all of these links in the script to <laughs> research things. Okay, I want her dressed like this, and I want the houses to look like this. And mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. all of that. Nancy's adaptations were amazing. Well, thank you. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I want to. I want to say so. Th there's a lot to t to take away already. First and foremost, I think just speaking candidly, I think it's so fucking badass that you right that you see this with Mary Shelley and you're like, no, she should be her own. You know, uh, she should be her own Tales from the Crypt. She should be her own. You know, creep guy. But in this case, not a creep guy because she's way she's too like, pretty to be that. Yeah. But, she's like your Dorian Gray. But yeah. like. No. <laughs> Where but she's to even like go, immortal from her. Uh, sorry, sorry, Matt. Like no, immortal, okay, from, okay. Uh, immortal from her fame and everything, while he was immortal from his painting. Yeah, like yeah. that's so cool. I love it. <laughs> but I think it's even. I think it's just badass in general what you're doing. I mean, for me as well. I, I although I appreciate the story of Dracula and and the importance it brought to horror. You know, it brought more of an intimate. You know. It, might I say, kind of like sexiness to horror? You know, it emphasized those elements. Whereas, for me, while it's all the tits, yeah. Well, for me, for me with Frankenstein, it was all about it, it was all about the hue, the humanity, the heart in horror. You know, what really makes horror horrific in general. Yeah. And now, in a modern sense, it's harder to kind of see that comparison because we've been exposed to so many things and so many different subgenres of horror but back then especially, you, especially of where the the real monster was man mm -hmm. all along yes. <laughs> but, well, it, was, but, it was very interesting because uh we did a panel at uh, san diego comic-con uh, uh on mary shelley and we were talking about Frankenstein's monsters and part of the discussion went into was Frankenstein a monster or not so it it was, you know, yeah, there's a lot in Frankenstein that you can really, you know, sit and think about for a long time. Mm -hmm. the, the, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a um, royal, what is it called? The, the Royal Theater, the National Royal Theater, whatever it's called of, of England. Sorry, I can't pull it in right now, but. Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller, who at the time both were being uh, playing Sherlock Holmes in one on well, both on TV, they switched roles, and there was a a play of Frankenstein. So one night, one guy would be Doctor Frankenstein, and the other guy would be the monster, and then they'd switch the next mm. night. It was oh, really I cool. I remember I, hearing about that. I was really yes. I I watched it. Um, a friend of mine came on Halloween and we watched it here in my little town. And then we, I got to see it with the other guy as Frankenstein. And so one night Johnny Lee Miller would be the monster and one night Benedict Cumberbatch would be the monster and they'd switch off. And it was a really cool play. And um, both of them were very different. And I think one of the cool things about Frankenstein, um, the novel, is that there's so many things you can talk about in the novel. Like this, this mad scientist created this being and then abandoned it. And like if you watch Penny Dreadful, that's one of the recurring themes mm -hmm. is it's your responsibility. You are the parent or you are the creator of this thing and now you have to deal with it. And mm -hmm. Dracula, I love Dracula, but it's more of this is a monster. He's sexy, sort of weird, and we got to mm -hmm. kill him. And, mm -hmm. you know. There was a lot more, I think, there's a lot more weird stuff in Frankenstein. Like, there's books like The Science of the Times, and Mary Shelley and her husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley, 
um, used to go to these uh, sort of like sideshows that quote scientists would put on and they try to bring corpses back to life with electricity. Everybody was into electricity and they'd make things jerk like that and they go, Wow, look, it's alive. Well it jerked. <laughs> but they were so overwhelmed with how cool it was that they that she ran with it. And um she actually they conducted a seance because they had had a baby together who died and they were trying to bring the baby back in a seance. And they were taking drugs and they were crazy and Bram Stoker was was one guy but Mary Shelley kind of had a a posse and um, so, so for me she's more exciting but I will confess to something and that's that I made this solemn vow that I would read everything Mary Shelley has ever written and I have to be honest with you and tell you some of it is really boring <laughs> I mean, not everyone could get could get a you know hit a home run. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But but for the most part, it's it's still like yeah, everything. She did kind of have like her own policy. Like she was like the entourage before yeah. entourage, just less terrible. You, know. you could call us the Shelleys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Barry. This is the Shelleys. Well, they are the stars of their time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were way ostracized for a long, long time because they ran away. She was 16, and they ran to, away to Europe, and he was already married to someone else. And um, her father had been a big preacher of free love, and there was even talk of moving to Virginia and starting this free love utopia. And that's actually how her boyfriend, Percy Bysshe Shelley, found out about her, is he came to listen to her father, this great, this great utopian guy and um then so when she left with him and went off to europe with a married guy she figured her dad would be right on board with it and he was not he was pissed off and um for as long as they weren't married and people wouldn't invite them places they were cut by society and so she was very lonely and very surprised that her dad was such an narrow-minded person when it came to his own kid so finally his wife committed suicide and so he was free to get married and so they got married and that's what happened oh and there's lots of suicides and bizarre stuff in her whole family oh my god (laughs) so you can see why we chose mary shelley yeah mary shelley she kind of is her own final girl you know she (laughs) But this, I did a lot of reading of uh, women of that time, horror writers, mm-hmm. um, and and find stories that we wanted to, uh, well, that lent itself to really to yeah. a graphic novel. Right. Right. Because a, a lot of us, go ahead, Nancy. Go ahead, Debbie. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> a lot of the stories don't lend themselves to a visual medium. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so we had to be careful about what what we chose. Was there ever a worry of just like, okay, what she's describing in this book? Do you, do you? I, I guess I, I'm I'm phrasing the question poorly. What I'm trying to ask is, when you're making these decisions of how to adapt it and what should it look like, do you have like a set of steps you have to go through before you get it approved by each other? Or is there a different amount of hurdles that you have to go through being an indie publisher before you give the green light? Well, Nancy and I would both read stories 
and present them to each other, and then we would agree on something. Mm -hmm. And then Nancy took it from there. Do you we, find that to be a lot easier than having to go through like channel, like if you were part of a major or, and I say yes. major. Obviously. Oh yes, 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 yes. Way well, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nancy's worked for those for other people. Oh, she's she's like this is way better. Uh, this every is program. way better. Way. I get to have fun. <laughs> oh well, I got invited to pitch at Comic Con, and I won't say to whom, but it was one of those big two ones. And um, oh my goodness, there's this big room, and there are little tables, and there's food everywhere. And then the editors sit there, and they go, oh, "Hi, how are you doing?" And you have this appointment, and then you sit down and you pitch. And so I did my pitch, and she seemed, my person seemed very excited about the whole thing. And so I went home, and I worked up my my next step. She said, the next step is this one-page format, la, 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 do this thing. Oh, my God. I went to the local comic book store. I bought every single thing they had about that milieu. And um, I made my pitch. She goes, no, that didn't work. Okay, well, thanks anyway. And that was the end of it. And I'm like, so like, wait a minute, I have $300 worth of brand new comic books here. And, <laughs> you know, and it's not like that with us. The, the only time we haven't, it hasn't worked is um, there was a Lithuanian writer, and um, I have some friends who are Russians, and they editors, you know, a horror group. And so they said, I said, I like this woman. And they said, well, we can translate it for you. And I, great, do that. And it it was weird. It was called the Imp, and um, Deb. I thought it would be really really cool because there was you know the after the Russian Revolution, their whole art style changed, and they have what's called the Silver Age of Russian art. And so I thought, well, we could make the first part of the book look like that old I call it balalaika Russian princesses and all the stuff you see on like lacquer music boxes of Russia. And then we could use this really crazy 1920s silver age of Russian art, which is real crazy. And and you could change it once the imp appears in the story. And that would be really cool. But the problem is the story was kind of a like a fever dream, weird vignette thing. And it didn't really have a structure. And it didn't really make sense to us, especially after we got the translation. And so um, we, what we wanted was our own translation so it would be we wouldn't have to ask about copyright. It turned out later, I found out, that because her name was Russian or Lithuanian, her name was spelled differently, and I could have gotten a translation that would have been okay to use, but because I didn't spell her name the other way, it never popped up. So we had gotten this translation, and we read it, read our translation, and we've gone like, what? And so we gave up on it. <laughs> And that made me really sad because I wanted to move out of the Anglo-Saxon, Irish, Scottish, British, American women writers and go elsewhere. But it didn't work out that time. So our compromise was um, we did, is it Amelia B. Edwards? Yes. Yes, yeah. yes ma'am. Amelia B. Edwards, um, who became an Egyptologist. Yep. This woman. Yep. And uh, we were trying to find stories that were set in the in Egypt or around Egypt, and um, instead we did this this story this story around the Napoleonic era, and uh, 
and Nancy put some wonderful uh, e Egyptian flavor in the Mary Shelley part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amelia Edwards actually um, helped get stuff in the British Museum that like Napoleon Bonaparte wanted, and she's like, "No, I got it, ha ha." And so there's actually pictures in that in her section of the statue that Napoleon wanted that's in the British Museum. And um, so that was pretty, pretty groovy. Um, but yeah, she's mm -hmm. oh, and just totally off the subject. But the people in that time period were just crazy because they would have these mummy unwrapping parties and oh they would God. get a mummy and then they have dinner and then they go, oh, let's unwrap it now. And then ooh, I was just, just freaky. I'm sorry. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what are you, what are you doing Friday night? Ah, going to a mummy unwrapping party. What are you yeah. doing? Uh, <laughs> like... <laughs> I would like if I ever was gotten invited to one of those, I'd just be sitting there going, "No, yeah, no, no." That's they, like what? Like I'd just be watching it, just like in amazement, like in the corner, like I ain't touching that. I don't need a curse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And with this, <laughs> well, people thought that eat, drink, eating, uh, ingesting mummy dust was like like a. Like an herb, like you could get. Oh my god! For, oh my god. What? This is wild, wild <laughs> in mummies, and so clever Egyptians started making new mummies, and people were, you know, here, here's, here's the mummy, and this mummy's like three years old because they made it look old, and it's, <laughs> it's gross. So oh, I'm sorry. God. No, don't be sorry. It just. Like how how would you even respond to that? Like, can you like modern times? Like, you get a Facebook invite. Hey, you know, uh, I'm tur turning eighteen this week. You know, I'm doing a mummy and rapid party for my birthday. Would love for you to come hang out. I'm I'm about to ingest my great 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 grandpa. Yeah, come meet my grandpa. I think we just came up with an idea for a horror film here. Oh my god. <laughs> that's so, so that's the kind of cool stuff that we found out while we were and that was while we were working on this book and that was yes that was the um kind of the consolation which i think it turned out so much better because this one story would have been people we know we knew people would be like what it was just too weird and um we couldn't make a structure yeah, for it. yeah. Okay, like, <laughs> comparatively like... so, like, what I used to find really weird back in old, like, in certain parts of the world is that whenever folks would get married, they would have to consummate in front of their friends and family. Yeah. And I thought that was weird, and for some reason, now I'm finding this to be far more weird. Like, <laughs> hey, you want to go, go sniff some mummy dust? Like, that sounds like a street drug. Oh it really God. does. Right? Like, Joe, no, we've talked, okay. We've talked about eating pigeon chicken wings during the apocalypse. We talked about ingesting so many weird things on this podcast. And when it relates to horror, talked about cannibalism and everything. But I think we take the cake. It's fucking snorting grandpa. So I can feel his essence. Yeah, doom. Yes. Wow. That's just that is so wild. Like, like, God, like they're like, hold up, like, hey man, I'm feeling really low tonight. I really need a bump. Here's my here's here's great great granny. <laughs> yeah. give, give me some of that Gertrude. 
So um, you can uh, see the kind of fun that Nancy and I had. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Great. yeah. So bringing it back. Um, <laughs> bringing it back. Bringing it back from snorting mummies. Um, and putting them on our gums. So. Uh, I so. Kooten ramen now gotten. So Mary Shelley's Tales of the Supernatural. Um, so just looking through the graphic novels, because you sent us a copy of it, 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 the drawings are just impeccable. They are they are so fresh to look at, and I enjoy it. They are very just reminiscent of just like classic uh, American, I don't know how I say American Lucy, like classically drawn comic book styling. Like it really does hit a note, a note with me. It really feel it feels like the creep show type of comic books from back in the day. Like, and and I love that about uh, the graphic novels. So was that always kind of like a predominant thought of where you wanted to take it, of how you want it to visually be represented? Um, for, I'll answer. Um, I love, I have my very, 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 very favorite horror movie is The Haunting from 1963. And I kept sending clips and links to The Haunting to the artists. And um, I think they got it. What What is gorgeous about The Haunting is it's, it's there's, there's one jump scare in the, or two, two jump scares in the whole movie, and you never see the ghosts. You never see them. And it's freaky. And I don't know if you've ever been to Disneyland, but um, the part of the Haunted Mansion is based on that movie. And it's just mm-hmm. creepy as hell. And it doesn't, you go. It's just nerve-wracking and nerve-wracking, and you don't leave going, whoa, that was scary. You're still freaked out. And so that was sort of the basis. I would say, make it like the haunting, make it like the haunting. Because frankly, when you're in a comic, you have to be so careful with your pages that you can't have any surprise, of course, on the wrong side of the page. And so, so it's, it's a whole different way of looking at horror that you have to visually, you know, represent the whole story because the art is predominant. Um, so, so for that, in that way, you know, now that I'm blathering on, I can't remember what you asked me, but um, the, haunting, <laughs> the Haunting was the movie that sort of, to me, anchored the art. And so also um, one of the things was that we had to make it more than it's a ghost, you know, it couldn't be, and the end is it's creepy. So we looked for things that were a subtext, like it was a story of lost love or it was a story of revenge. And so we would try to have like little markers, visual markers to, to remind the reader that, that that was the thing that was drawing them through the book. And I think the artists really knew what they were doing and um, kept that sort of motif like a musical mm-hmm. In mind as they went through the stories. Yeah, and you answered the question. You're you're right on it. I I, I love the amount of detail you put into that because I wouldn't have guessed that it was inspired from uh, 63's The Haunting. I really wouldn't have. I thought it was legitimately inspired from 
uh, comics like Creepshow or Black Cat Mysteries. Um, so I'm glad you elaborated on that. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it, you're just kind of blowing mine and Cody's mind through the roof <laughs> with all the knowledge you have because you're just like talking <laughs> oh. some really fascinating stuff and you just have our attention. Oh. And I was like, I learned something today. I learned something. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know old people were drugs? Kids <laughs> don't try this at home. <laughs> um so before we move on uh debbie and nancy again thank you for coming on the show today where can everybody go to support mary shelley uh, presents tales of supernatural and where can they get their own copy um it's available at chimerapress.com but you know it's also available uh on uh amazon so perfect yeah so ghouls gals oh i'm sorry go ahead and let me add that it's very combination we had a a a little rush of orders (laughs) nice that's cool well i want to say also that my mary shelley presents is only one of the lines of comics that chimera press um sells and so it's the only horror one yeah it's the only horror one but there are other um, comic book stories and issues on the on the website for people who aren't horror people. Awesome! So, so yeah. all of our comic book lover fans, loving sure. fans, head on over there. Check out their awesome, awesome comics. Thank we'll you. We'll make sure to have those links in the episode notes below as well. So, uh, listeners, ghouls, gals, creeps, mutants, like, please, please support Chimera Press and please support Nancy and Debbie and Barishelli Presents Tales of Supernatural. Go check out Chimera Press down a link below and order your own copy as well today. Um, but before we move on, I got to ask you, Debbie and Nancy, do you want to hang around and play a horror game with us? Absolutely. It's time to play the For today's game, since we are talking about Mary Shelley and also comic books, um, for our for our game, ladies, if you could become if you could transport yourself into your favorite horror comic book or book and be the protagonist of it, what book and how and or what would it be? Ooh, I'm staring at my bookshelf right now. I'm thinking this <laughs> through. Um, and why? Sorry, I should say and why. Okay. Um, I don't know why I'm going to say this because I haven't thought of my why, but I would be in, <laughs> in the woods. And I don't know why, because that is a just, just dreary ending, but I would be the girl <laughs> smoking my weed in Cabin in the Woods. Nice. <laughs> Washington and it's legal here, by the way. So <laughs> just want to make that known. Yeah. If anybody wants to give you her time, no, you, you're okay. <laughs> I would. Uh, we we could also say since you're calling into Colorado, it's also okay because you know, it's, it's legal here too. But no, um, would you? What would you change for for all them big bogies? You know, not that. In the story, what would you? Would you do anything different? Would you try to warn any of the characters of anything? Any prior knowledge you already have? Oh gosh, yeah, I'd warn them all. Like, don't do thing. <laughs> Don't do the ritual. Don't, you know, well, I don't see if everybody's watched Cabin in the Woods. So what I'll say is don't take a shower. Don't um, have sex. 
Don't uh, don't just, invoke the elder gods. Don't just, don't just don't do anything. It's like American horror is a, a lot of times American horror is you're going to get in trouble if you do anything that's fun. So, yeah, do anything that's fun. Don't have a fight and stomp off by yourself. Don't stop gas. Don't do any of those things. And if things don't look right, leave. I mean. <laughs> That's one of the things that cracks me up about a lot of horror is, oh, my God, I think this haunted house is trying to kill us. Oh, well, let's stay and make dinner. And like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's so funny because my other favorite thing is like. As I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, what would I do differently in Cabin in the Woods? Um, I just would, I would, I wouldn't stay. <laughs> just leave, you guys. I mean. Just yeah. I just want to go on the trip. You'd have to do it earlier, Nancy, when you find the creepy old man at the gas station. Yeah, you're a that. Right, right. The second you see the creepy old man at the gas station, yeah, well, I'll gotta go down that road. They yeah. never come back, though. <laughs> exactly. That's when you go, all right, so I'm not going to go down that road, and I'm going home, and I'm going to spend my next vacation at home. <laughs> and us. <laughs> And I would also like to add, maybe if you're being chased by a psycho in the woods, don't stop to have sex with your girlfriend. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like we're forgetting like one of the easiest things we could do in this movie. Do you want to know what that is? Yes. Just kill the... ...or kill the virgin. Just do it for them, so, so yeah. that way the whole thing ends and they don't have to worry about the world being destroyed. <laughs> I'm like, for it. Look, we're like we're friends and all, and we cool. But there's a lot of people in the world that smoke weed. The <laughs> <laughs> whole, whole problem with this whole scenario is that all of that would get us all killed because the elder gods will rise. <laughs> look, at some point they just forgot about the rules, and they're like, they just need to die. <laughs> yeah. No, but you're right. You are. You you make a very good point. Um, Debbie, how about you? I was going to pick. Gabbard cabin in the woods so thank you see um let me think here actually i since we talked about it before going on the air uh, i would pick the hunt nice no no, no. i would pick the invisible man nah, which which invisible the, man though the which most one? Recent one okay the that's a good pick. <laughs> well, what would you do? What would you do in that movie differently? What I would do differently is is um, before I escape. You know, when she mm -hmm. escapes, I would go downstairs, get that suit, mm -hmm. and stick it in my purse and leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, I would have too. If you take, if you take it. And he can't do that. He can't do. Of course, there's two of them, but um, um, but that puts a big kink in his plan. Yes, it does. Very nice. I, I like I, that. That's a good one. Oh, thank you. Maybe that's my <laughs> editor. <laughs> but I I can't help but agree because like watching the movie and that opening scene, I'm just like, grab the suit, grab the suit, grab the yeah. suit. She doesn't grab it. I'm just like, what the fuck? Just get it. <laughs> You should have grabbed the suit. Gives you superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I got movie. I, I, I it's really... so good. Yeah. It is so good. <laughs> I will Sorry, say... I didn't over talk you. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, no, that movie I will say has probably one of the greatest scenes, like depicting PTSD and stuff like that ever. With when she's at the mailbox and you just see the jogger, and yeah. she freaks out. Like even I was having a panic attack at that moment. I was like, "No, it's him!" <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta say, like the restaurant scene is is hands down one of the best. Like. Cleverly oh. orchestrated scare jumps in horror movie history, and I feel like it doesn't get enough praise because it it happens so quick, and it takes you a moment to realize what's going on. Just like her, yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, you just see the knife and then slit in her hand, and you're like, "What the shit just happened?" <laughs> it's just it's so well executed. That's what made the you know for spoiler alert. That's- <laughs> Made the ending so so nice. It was a, like a good bookend to that scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good! I loved that ending. It was so great. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like me and Matt went sat together the entire time. We like if we if we could, we would have stood up on our feet like during that entire finale, going, yeah, fuck that man. <laughs> but because it was like going into COVID, we were like, we don't know if we should yell. this in tokyo disneyland they are they were worried about people transmitting um covid through their masks when they were on fast rides so they would say please they didn't want anybody to scream anymore so they said to them please scream inside your heart so <laughs> that is terrifying to hear. That, that was that would be the greatest tagline for any horror themed like music park ever. Just that like you're not allowed to with inside your heart. <laughs> oh, that's great. I couldn't do it. I would just see that sign and go, nah, this ride's haunted, isn't it? <laughs> now, I, now, I can't, now I can't get it out of my head, just like like the most popular roller coaster, right? You can imagine like everybody's like, I've never been on this ride before. I wonder if it's really worth it. And you just see a whole bunch of people not screaming on it. <laughs> like, like, it's like, I don't oh. know, it looks kind of boring. <laughs> I mean, their hands are up, but they don't look like they're into it. <laughs> <laughs> they look like they're trying a little too hard. Right. Like, that's I can't get that out of my head now. It's just like, why is the theme park so quiet today? The only thing I hear is the everything running, but I don't hear any people. Yeah, you're not what even I allowed can't to get talk. Out of my head is is them exploding because they're screaming so much in their heart. That <laughs> <laughs> right at the end of the ride, they take a deep breath and just pop. <laughs> All right, bring in the wheelbarrow. We got another group. <laughs> It's a new term for your splash page when your head. <laughs> <laughs> it would. It gives a whole nother meaning to the mind eraser. There you go. <laughs> yep. All right. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Cody, do you, uh, have, do you think we got time for us? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, Matt, what's your what's yours? What's your pick? So I want it to be kind of a shit and make mine about Mortal Kombat, but I feel like I should let it <laughs> move on at some point. So, I think the one I'm going to do, though, like, if I had to pick any horror movie, what I would jump into is most definitely, like, just Evil Dead 2. Because I feel like I would love a, a for I would like to be, like, 
there, but I don't want any bad stuff to happen to me. You feel me? I just kind of want to eat my popcorn and watch everything in real time happen. And then that way, when anybody comes up to me and be like, how do we get out of here? I can just, <laughs> you're not getting out. <laughs> That's the one. See the dude with the gray hair do right there? He's probably the only one going to survive this. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Avoid the tree. Whatever you do, don't go outside. <laughs> That's good. like, like that I would probably, I'd be, I, I would be no help. I would essentially be a secondary villain because I would just not help anyone. I'd only tell Bruce. <laughs> I would just be like, "Hey, man, like, watch out for the corner here. You're gonna have like the crazy, the crazy ant come out of the cellar. So just, just a heads up on that." <laughs> you just pop in randomly at the movie just to tell him, "Hey, just by the way, in about thirty seconds, someone's gonna stick their head through the window. Not me. It's gonna be a demon." <laughs> like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> also by the end of this movie just just a heads up you're going to be traveling to the medieval times so uh i would not make any fast movements if i was you <laughs> I start studying up on ye old english there <laughs> yeah be, be careful with what technology wink you bring back to the past they might make you a witch <laughs> well just just the the uh, tags in our clothes would make us a witch <laughs> yeah 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 what is this cotton? <laughs> what is this goosey? Goosey. Why is it called goose? I just not, this does not seem to be made from geese at all. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, and then, uh, sorry. And then uh, ra- wrapping up a little bit. Mine would be super easy because I've had this one forever. It would be Grave Encounters. No. Oh. Uh, grave Encounters. And I would just watch from outside the Asylum Asylum. I would never step a foot in. I just watch the Zach Baggins crew just go insane. <laughs> because I tell them, I tell them to be in the beginning. I'm like, dude, I give them a warning. I'm like, okay, here's here's I'm tr- giving you a silver lining, so I have to, so I can ease my conscience at least a little bit. <laughs> Don't go in there. It's actually haunted, and you're and you're gonna get a oh, just just please don't. And then I could just see him going, fuck you. I'm fucking, Z-, like, whatever his name is in the movie. But basically, I'm Zach Baggins. <laughs> I was just like, all right. And just have, like, a big tub of kettle corn and just watch through a window. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, well, I tried. <laughs> and there's just, like, an off scene of just you know, eating the popcorn as well. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With, like, a thumbs up. Like, this is great. <laughs> great and then when like they try and get they're like open the door i'm like it's not locked it's not locked <laughs> as you're like holding the other end of it like it's not locked <laughs> go ahead open it it's not locked <laughs> like i'd be holding the chain and everything like unlock the unlocked door like it was never locked <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> That's great. Uh, <laughs> all right, then. Um, again, <laughs> Ghouls, Gals, Creeps, Moons, we are joined with the fantastic Nancy and Nancy and Debbie of Chimera Press and Mary Shelley's... Te- uh, <laughs> it's curious. I'm laughing too hard because like, now I can't get the images out of my head. I'm just like <laughs> screwing with a bunch of people in an old asylum. <laughs> Mary Shelley's presents Tales of the Supernatural. Um, Nancy and Debbie, again, thank you for coming on today and being part of the show. Um, we understand if you have to head out, but we want to ask you if you want to hang around for a little longer and uh, learn about some Asian horror. I'd love to. 
Awesome. Perfect. So this is our follow-up to our part one with Crystal from Horror Nights In. Again, shout out to her and your her YouTube channel. Please check out Horror Nights In. Um, we are going to jump into part two, talking about Asian horror cinema, and I will let Cody here elaborate a little more in just a moment. But if you haven't heard part one, please go check that episode out. That would be about, I think that's episode uh, 154 at this point. Please check it out. It was one of our favorite ones to do. We want to learn a lot about through the 20s coming to the to the 80s of Asian horror, what they had to go through just to get movies past censorship and the dynamics between their movies and the movies that came out during the West at the time. So with that being said, Cody, what are we talking about today? So to, and, uh, to con- continuing on from uh, the last time that we talked about this, I talked mostly about the evolution of Chinese, the, the Chinese horror cinema, um, just because it was just super fascinating. And also because we've already uh, touched on the history of Korean and Japanese horror um, and also the how Japanese horror was really tied into the uh, plays and musicals before they finally evolved into big screen cinema in more present days. But um, like I said, we're going to be mostly talking about the evolution of Chinese horror. And so uh, continuing on, we uh, last left this subject uh, talking about the Shaw brothers and how mm. their, uh, their company was the, like one of the leading uh, production companies of just the super like, old time like schlockiness of horror (laughs) and so um with but not only them uh one of the more famous movies that came out back then that uh opened the quote-unquote forbidden door was the legend of the seven golden vampires and that movie uh opened the forbidden door of adding excessive sex and violence and all of the schlock that's known to like 70s and 80s horror here in america that was kind of the movie that opened it up for in China, mostly in Hong Kong. Because um, like I also said in the last episode, just touching on again, um, Hong Kong and mainland China are two different entities when it comes to this. And um, Hong Kong had a lot more, uh, had a lot more free, or I'm trying to, had a lot more. They had more free roam. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, free roam with how they were able to do their movies, but they still had a really strict censorship guide. While mainland China, if it wasn't some kind of propaganda to promote China, then they wanted nothing to do with it <laughs> for the most part. So um, starting now, so the 80s is what's what is considered the Hong Kong new wave of horror. So this is a bunch of brand new directors and filmmakers and all these younger breed of like of filmmakers uh, coming in that have like a little bit more free roam because of everything that got opened up with the Shaw Brothers and the Legend of the Gold Seven Golden Vampires, and also this is a big time for imp- improved special effects, production values, and an, uh, another like really unique thing about all these filmmakers coming in at this time is a lot of them were uh, studied abroad. And so all these like uh, all these new uh, filmmakers coming into Hong Kong, they studied abroad. They also grew up watching Shaw Brothers and all those other big production companies. Um, and so another and uh, another thing that all these new filmmakers brought in are like brand new te- techniques such as quicker editing. And probably one of the biggest changes is filming offset. So mm-hmm. like. Uh, before most of the movies would take place on a set, just like you know, in, on a film set and everything. And now they're 
doing more guerrilla style filmmaking, like shooting out in the wilderness more, shooting offset, not using as much of the like all those production values because they have more technology now and better, better technology, I should say. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. And, mm-hmm. and then one of the and so uh, one of the probably the most important filmmakers of this um, of this time and going forward is a man named Su- uh, Sui Hark. Um, he is actually considered, uh, he's, he got a nickname as the Steven Spielberg of Hong Kong cinema. <laughs> um, wow. he, uh, he's just that well known and he just has produ- produced that qu- uh, quality of movies. Um, but he really didn't dabble a whole lot in horror. Um, the first time he, the only, the only real times he dabbled in horror is his first three films. His debut film was the butterfly murders, which came out in 1979. Um, it's a strange martial arts horror film mashup about a castle that's terrorized by killer butterflies and a man in a black leather suit who can control them. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Go I my butterflies. That, um, butterflies? I mean, what did they do? Beat their wings to death? Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they, were like, they were like killer butterflies and they would just attack people. <laughs> they ruined all <laughs> his clothes. Guys, I want to tell you something. Um, the former president of the Horror Writers Association, Lisa Morton, wrote a biography of that director. And it's available. Really? Um, yeah, it's available at McFarlane and Publisher and Company Publishers. It's called The Cinema of Toy Hark. It's T-U-S-T-S-U-I-H-A-R-K. And yeah, and she actually studied Chinese so that she could do the uh, interviews and stuff. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Peter, so I, uh, to, I wanted to make sure you knew about that because that is cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's awesome. Oh, no, uh, Lisa, and Lisa wrote the intro, of the foreword of Mary Shelley Presents Tells It's Supernatural. There you go. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So, listeners, go check out that book. <laughs> you never know what that's... you can learn on the PRHP podcast. Yeah, no, that's really cool because Sui Hark is re- he's an interesting dude. Like, he's a cool guy. And, like, just by like, and just hearing how he had these, like, little, hum- these real humble times making these first three horror movies. And then he goes on to pretty much run the big, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, production company in Hong Kong. Wow. Oh, yeah, it's insane. <laughs> so that's really cool. Thanks for adding that. That's awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, following more along Sui Hark's uh, little thing, uh, his second movie that came out um, was called We're Going to Eat You. Uh, came out in 1980. It's a black <laughs> comedy about a secret agent that stumbles onto, stumbles onto a village of cannibals. <laughs> so, yeah. They're, they're doing... They, they started hopping on the train of like more, more like uh, human villains instead of like all the supernatural bombast- bombasticness and stuff. They started um, Chinese cinema, horror cinema started dabbling more into having more, uh, more like hu- humanoid villains and stuff like that, and also humans. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. Wow, that's really that's interesting. My- Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just uh, for uh, for you ladies, uh, one of the coolest thing uh, just to uh, touch back on a little bit of the past is that 
before now how uh, Asian, especially Chinese cinema in Hong Kong, had to get away with uh, get through and pass the censorship boards is all their movies, all their horror movies had to have a dabble of Hong Kong uh, kung fu in it. Yeah. Like they all had kung fu in it, and so this is also a time. And Hark really kind of like started uh, started this by trying to take out the kung fu and making more streamlined horror movies. And this was kind of like the start of it. Because, yeah, yeah, he did have them in there, but it was like he was trying to stay away from that. Like, no, we don't need martial arts for every fucking horror movie, okay? I could tell a story without it. That <laughs> and, is cool. Mm-hmm. And then... um. But sadly, while those two movies uh, were bombs for Hark, he did find some success with his third film, Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind. Um, it was originally supposed to come out in 1980, but ended up coming out in 81. And it, and it is a, and for big reasons, it is an extremely bleak movie about four teenagers who go on a violent crime spree with very angry political subtext. And the movie was highly censored by the, uh, by the British colonial government. And so it took a full year of editing before they could even release it. And they had to like, they pretty much changed the title and everything. And they had, they called it dangerous encounters of the first kind or don't play with fire. And the biggest reason they had to re-edit a lot of it was the extreme violence and also the hard subtext, the political subtext, because, uh, uh, they were they're just getting out of the uh, out of a war. Uh, was it Indo-Japanese War? Is what it was called. Fuck. Sorry, can't remember. I for, I forgot to write the the name of the war down in these notes. <laughs> but anyways, because uh, there's still a war going on at this time. So any movie that has some type of political subtext, like anti-government subtext, was just like the the editing board was just like or the censorship board, like no, <laughs> like fix it. So, um, so after these three movies, Su- uh, Sui Hark, he, uh, jumped out of, he really stayed away from horror at this point and started, uh, and he, blah, sorry, Sui Hark went on to be considered one of the most influential filmmakers in the new wave period. Um, cause so after these three horror movies from 1981 to 1984, he joined the cinema city and films company. Uh, the company was instrumental in creating the eighties Hong Kong blockbuster films. So that's where like the whole Steven Spielberg comparison comes from. Cause he started making all these blockbusters. Um, and then 1984 Hark formed the production company film workshop here. Hark's company became known for pumping out blockbusters on the regular. So they just like would get hit after hit after hit. And then he, but he also gained a reputation for being an extremely hands-on, intrusive, and overbearing producer to all of his directors. And because of that, it actually led to a very public breakup with John Woo. Oh. 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 Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> and then... And so, yeah, and then we'll be touching back on uh, Hark and his film company here in a little bit, because we're still in the 80s, and that's and it's a little bit later past the 80s where he comes back in. Um, so, 1980s, the 80s, is considered, or sorry, specifically 1980 is considered a, a landmark year for Chinese horror, uh, with the release, uh, the release and surprise success of Encounters of the Spooky Kind. Um, it was, I just love that movie. The name of that movie, Encounters of the Spooky Kind. Um, like, I feel like I'm a, it's scary because they're spooky. Yeah, I feel like I'm about to watch a Scooby Doo movie. <laughs> like, 
Um, the movie was directed by Sammo Hung. Um, Encounters took the kung fu horror blend that was popular popularized by The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, but made it better. So while The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires opened the like opened the forbidden door of like all the cheese and schlock and sex and blood that they would start adding into those movies, this movie set the bar. Um, and it and how it made it better is that instead of using cow- Western cowboy style vampires. They used rotting, hopping, jumping zombies, <laughs> and so yeah. and then they turned it into just a super over the top schlock. By the hero is a rickshaw driver whose boss is sleeping with his wife and tries to get him killed by hiring a sorcerer to kill the hero. <laughs> That's the synopsis. Huh. Yep. Just, you know, usually some people just go with hitman, but this dude, he's just like, nope, magic. Well, I mean. Most people also just try and convince the gal to leave her husband. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not saying sorcerer. a lot of great decisions were made. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> to enact out his poison violence his is tea. just... A little bit of poison in his tea. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, that too. Like, it's, it's simple. You don't have to be like, hey, I need a sorcerer to summon fucking zombies to kick the shit out of this rickshaw driver. <laughs> <laughs> this is important. <laughs> like I would just look at him and go, why zombies? Like, wouldn't they fall apart? Nah, they hop. <laughs> That's cool. Well, they were hopping vampires. Like the golden, weren't the golden vampires hopping vampires? No, they're uh, cowboys. Oh, 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 oh! Right, you said that. Right. Yeah, it was western style cowboy vampires. I haven't seen that in so long, but I um, weren't they? Maybe it was Malaysian. There was there is a kind of vampire that is a hopping vampire. Oh, okay. But it's not usually a zombie, but um, mm-hmm. so he kind of well, his own thing. But. Well, actually, I mean, it could they could have been hopping because uh, in uh, in a lot of Asian folklore and everything, there isn't an actual vampire. Like vampires, anything that's uh, that's a human uh, humanoid monster, mm-hmm. um, they give it its own term. I have it written down here. Uh, Zhangxi. Yeah. Yeah, so Zhangxi is any is anything. So it could either be a vampire or a zombie, but in their culture, it's just whatever undead, cre- uh, undead humanoid creature is. So like, it, it doesn't matter. They're all the same at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so also, uh, so uh, coming back to Encounters uh, is a very unique movie at this time, also because it's one of the very few movies that even ma- that managed to make it cro- across seas to the West. So it made it out of uh, out of Hong Kong through the censorship boards and everything, and through mainland China, and was taken over here to the West and shown at the Cane Fil- uh, Cane's Fil- Film Festival that year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so with the bar now set for horror com the horror comedy genre um, in Hong Kong, super super high by encounters, just like any big you know big movie that takes off, like for example here in the states when Paranormal Activity took off, all those like paranormal type movies started coming out and stuff like that because it became a fad. So. Just like here, back there, uh, once Encounters did that popular, a lot of similar styled movies came uh, flooded the Hong Kong film industry. And they were all fucking 
terrible. <laughs> like no one was enjoyable except for one. There was one movie that actually stood about stood above the rest in the 80s and it was the hung produced Mr. Vampire and that movie came out in 1985. Um it's uh the act the main actor um was Lan Chi Ching Ying. He actually came to fame playing the lead in this movie. Um so the synopsis is Master Cao, a stoic unibrowed priest who discovers that a corpse he's re he's rebearing is a Zhang Xi. Uh, Cow keeps the monster in his house for observation, but all hell breaks loose when his two dim-witted apprentices accidentally let the Jiangxi escape, forcing Cow to stop it before it causes further mayhem. Uh -huh. <laughs> so the whole, like, I'm doing this for honor, and then the dimwits fuck it all up. <laughs> it's not that you hate when that happens. And uh, why can't these aren't the droids you're looking for? Apparently not. <laughs> this is legitimately the reason why we can't have anything nice. <laughs> this is interesting because I'm reading the plot, and it says he accepts an assignment from a wealthy businessman to remove his name is Yom to remove Yom's deceased father from his grave and rebury him with the hopes that doing so will bring more prosperity to. Prosperity to the Yom family. So, what do you remember? What that's about? I mean, that's no, quite interesting. That's, yeah, no, that honestly, that's a good catch because I got my synopsis from the article where I got all this from. So I should have, I should have checked the other synopsis to make sure that it was correct. No, no, I, it's just I wonder. A, I wonder if also like, we bury the corpse like for better for better feng shui or something i mean mm. i don't i don't know i mean it's just <laughs> huh, how about that that's funny uh, huh. i wonder if it was more like a translation error type of deal mm. where like i could honestly say where it's just like one synopsis that was translated in a different way than the other i mean that's very common when mm. it comes to adapting anything from a uh, another country coming to the U.S. in general, so that could also explain it. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I, I'm gonna go a little off topic here. I think um, when um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was being shopped around, um, two of the producers are the Kazooies, Fran Rubel Kazooie and Kaz Kazooie. Kaz Kazooie is Japanese, and um, they were the ones who got there to be um, karate and kung fu and taekwondo in Buffy. That that was really? the she had it in the first place. They, she she was interviewed by my um, co-writer and she took credit for it. She said we put the kung fu in the original Buffy movie, and they were Japanese. But that was still that whole Asian kung fu thing. Um, and the film came out in 1992, so it's kind of around that whole time period that you're talking about, where mm -hmm. people were doing a lot of kung fu, and it was a funny comedy with kung fu, a, a funny horror comedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. You no, know, to try no, to no, I was just laughing because funny comedy is, uh, <laughs> as opposed to not funny comedy. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, that's awesome because like it. it what well, was really funny is because like of course the kung fu never real truly left like the movie the uh, the Asian cinema and everything in any and a lot of their movies. But I think that's awesome that like 
once they were uh, in in Asia, they were trying to die like you know tone down as much of it by trying to tell like more grounded stories and also like and everything in the '90s and whatnot. While mm-hmm. here in the states, we're like, yeah, fucking kung fu. <laughs> so it's like cool that it flip flop. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's well, anyway, awesome. I didn't mean to interrupt your, your your rundown. Oh no, that's great. I honestly I love it. Like I love that you're like, hold on, I got some cool fun facts for this also. Like, no, <laughs> add in. That's great. I, like, I love it. Pop ups, you know, I've been at movies when they have like the cheetah girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't need to be here totally okay. Yeah, I fucking love it. <laughs> this is great. Um yeah, so jumping back into it. So, uh, Mr. Vampire, the movie, was not only a financial success, but it also, uh, but it was also a huge critical hit. And it earned 12 nominations at the 5th Hong Kong Film Awards. And I just want to, like, before I move on from that, I just want to say, what the fuck, America? Fucking in the 80s. China yeah. was re- was uh, was fucking recognizing horror movies for how great they were and everything. Like right. everywhere else is rec- recognizing the greatness in horror actors and stuff like that in horror movies, but we're still over here like bam, 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 fucking. Right. What made me cry? Well, that's like when Silence of the Lambs was up in the Oscars. What? They said, "Oh, it's not a horror movie." Oh yeah, of course, because we all remember the Disney movies that had serial killers in them. So yeah, no way is that horror related at all. Right. I rem- like I remember that Disney movie where Bambi ate his mom's face off. <laughs> <laughs> well, snorting some mummy dust when that. <laughs> <laughs> mummy dust makes you do weird things, man. Yeah. <laughs> I knew a guy who was a mummy dust once, not only killed the dude, but also married his entire family. He was weird. I don't even know how he got away with it. <laughs> weird. Uh, okay. Sorry. I digress. Continue. <laughs> um, yeah. So after that, uh, so the movie uh, was super popular and that it even garnered a bunch of sequels and spinoffs, just like any, like, said before any super like popular movie um but the one thing that was super unique about mr vampire is that all mainline sequels had their own separate plots so until the fifth movie so what i really like that like they just they each movie even though they were like tied together they'd like basically did uh an anthology but each but all whole length movies and i really liked that idea because that was basically the idea for Friday the 13th, Halloween, and even Nightmare on Elm Street, where the Jason, Michael Myers, and Freddy were going to be like one, maybe two movie off characters and then switch over to a whole new thing, but keep the the main, you know, the main titles. Um, And they did that pretty, like, okay, like fairly decently, like all the movies and the spinoffs did all right, like they varied in quality. But the fifth movie actually ties back in and continues the story of Master Cow and his disciples where they are fighting the vengeful ghosts of aborted fetuses. Ew. It's true, but so specific. <laughs> so, so specific. Yes, yeah, that, that's, that's what it's about. Okay. <laughs> Dang. So, 
Yes. So even though these films uh, were huge hits within Hong Kong and with Mr. Vampire, even like breaking the the like the the whole wall of breaking into the West, they were still super unknown outside of Hong Kong. Like Mr. Vampire just kind of made it around some of the indie indie films and stuff. And back in the 80s, like independent filmmaking wasn't as popular or as looked upon as nowadays. You know, there wasn't as much access to it, I should say. So, uh, but one film that was finally able to break that wall uh, was the 1987 film A Chinese Ghost Story. It is probably the most famous Chinese horror movie to come out from this time period. Um, A Chinese Ghost Story was produced by Sui Hark. So, just like, uh, that's what I mean by we're going to touch on this guy later. Because <laughs> he was. Uh, he produced this movie. Uh, his uh, production company is the one that produced this movie. Um, it's an adaptation of Pu Song Ling's uh, Nie Jiaquin. Uh, um, and like uh, touching on again, Pu Song Ling, he is actually a huge influence on almost all of China's early and even a lot of modern horror movies. All of his stories are pretty much adapted to big screen. Um, but going back to the Chinese ghost story, it's a very familiar premise, uh, uh, just along, uh, like all of Pu Song Ling's stories. Um, a Chinese ghost story is a young man stays at an abandoned temple and falls in love with the ghost of a beautiful woman. The ghost is enslaved to a demon and has, and the man has to fight to free her. This rendition, uh, this rendition with its music, visuals, and action has remained one of the best adaptations of Pu's story. Uh, the animatronic and stop motion special effects. Are also uh, are also some of the mo- are awesome, and few movies can probably boast a fight with a tree demon's giant tongue. I would say only Evil Dead. <laughs> 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 so, but um, but yeah, this uh, this movie just took off, and it was one, and like I said, it was one of the few movies that also took off here in the West, um, out here in the West, and it also caused. In my opinion, a terrible fad because I don't I I know I know this there's movies for everyone and there's some people who like this genre but the whole romantic ghost movie that lasted throughout the entire 90s. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's just it be gold no. yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I'm not a fan of the whole rock, horror, horror romantic comedy type style, except I have my few, like Shaun of the Dead, that is always going to be my, a gem. <laughs> and, and I think peak, peak horror comedy, but I'm not a huge, you know, romantic ghost movie person. <laughs> I also just still think it's kind of weird. That just, like, <laughs> there's, like, out of everything, like, not saying it's that out of the norm in horror where, like, a human will fall in love with an ethereal or cryptid-like creature, i.e., you know, the Black Lagoon, you know, mm. but, like, just, like, at least with the Black Lagoon, you know, at least with Swamp Thing, he's, he's an actual thing, you know, you could touch <laughs> him, but, like, a ghost, like, all I can think of is just that scene from Scary Movie 2 when she's in bed and she's just being, like, hoisted <laughs> all over the ceiling and whatnot. So it's, like, it's hard for me to take it serious because that's all I think of. <laughs> well, you, like... back in your Dracula thing, um, um, yes. uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, who, is, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, was a friend of Bram Stoker's, and he actually wrote a really super cool, 
creepy, I don't know if you would call it a horror romance, but it's called The Captain of the Pole Star. And it's, if you saw the, the series The Terror, um, it's kind of like that kind of creepy atmosphere, but it's a really creepy story. It's called The Captain of the Pole Star by Arthur Conan Doyle. And it's, it's got a... Um, I don't know if you want to say romance, but it's definitely obsessive about this. What is this thing out? It's out. It's a ship that's stuck in the Arctic. Um, you know how they used to go try to find the Northwest Passage and everything. And the ship's mm-hmm. stuck in the ice. And mm-hmm. so all the crew and everybody is waiting for the ice to break. And they're afraid they're going to starve. And meanwhile, the captain is going slowly really crazy and there's this shrieking kind of moaning, keening thing out in the darkness. And then I won't tell you what happens, but it's got to do with him and it's got to do with this woman he loved. And it is really creepy. Okay. And oh, it's not okay. Chinese, but. Yeah. <laughs> Have you read The Terror, Nancy? I have not read it. I saw the series, but I haven't read the book. Yeah, Dan Simmons, um, and and that yeah, it was it was a very creepy book as well. Cool, awesome. Yeah, I'll have to but check those out. It's a basic thing. It sounds like the same story almost. Yeah, it's, yeah. The well, the series. Well, I don't want to get off your Chinese thing, but um, no. <laughs> let me recommend it for a good sort of romance Chinese um, ghost romance sort of. Um, Captain okay. of the Full Star is creepy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'll have to check that out. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Matt, did you have some? Uh, no, because I just can't. Because I'm still so like <laughs> ghost man. <laughs> like I just I can't. My whole big thing about it, like, and I'm not trying to like backtrack on the conversation or anything of that what was just shared. I thank you for recommending. I. I that does help. I love getting more resources and getting more knowledge, especially in horror. So thank you. Yeah, but just but like off, I never on. Un- Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I just gonna say it's way off your topic. So. <laughs> no, you're okay. Don't really don't stress it. We do enough tangents on the show that our listeners are just like. Whenever we can stay on one train of thought, our listeners are already impressed by that. So they expect <laughs> tangents. But yeah, like, okay, um, well, I've, I've just kept that bar nice and low, just for you. <laughs> too sweet um but i just i guess it's like uh, to an extent i can understand the difference with ghosts being touched on in horror movies in asian cinema like obviously there is a far more cultural importance to it but and and i can understand also like why in a horror movie especially coming from uh you know asia what why they would be still be in love with a ghost i get it i it's more of like a metaphor for holding on to the past and not moving on and still being in love, you know, with a partner and and so on and so forth. But I I don't know. I just, I feel like it's one of those where it just, unless you are brought up in the culture or if you don't understand the metaphor completely, it's not going to hit with the same impact that it would with someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, know, they have ghost marriages in, in, in Chinese tradition where you actually marry after death. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a common thing. Or I don't know if it's common. I shouldn't say that. Um, But they, um, the ghost marriage. Let's see, ghost marriages were often performed uh, for men to let the family's lineage carry on. The spouse of a deceased male could adopt a child who would carry on the lineage of a man's family. 
But they would actually have people who were um, deceased marry uh, somebody who was alive. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't even know that. That's actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Well, well now I feel a little. Why this Chinese ghost story thing would resonate like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, well and now... also in, in talking about the difference in culture, which I'm very into right now. <laughs> uh, I'm taking I'm taking a class actually on diverse um, uh, constructs of stories, uh-huh. and and so I I I don't want to take you off of your topic because this this really does go into it. Um, the the person in the class who's teaching the class wanted to make us really see the difference between the eight the way the Asian looks at a story, and the way that we in the West look at a story, and so they he he gave us these lines. Um, I'm going to tell you about a very famous movie, okay? And let's see if you can tell me what movie this is. A girl- okay. Okay, a golden dragon is murdered by a thief and homeless man. No idea. The no. Hobbit. Ah! ah! Because, you know, the it, it, dragon is a very vanilla being always. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dwarves don't have a home. They are homeless, and oh, and Bill Baggins is is their burglar. Yeah, ah, I get it. <laughs> That's cool. So it was a way of making us look at the, you know, the cultural differences in the way that people approach stories. So when you were when you were talking about the cultural difference of the ghost, you know, love story, uh-huh. it's just it's it's very interesting. The other example he gave was. There's four daughters. One marries rich, two end up paupers, and one dies. It's little women. Ah! Huh. <laughs> oh my God, that's it's, so they miss I, all the other stuff that you know in Western culture we put in there mm-hmm. uh, because the the you know marrying off your daughters and you know to good families and all that kind of stuff is so important. Yeah. Right. Of course. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, you you know, our understanding sometimes of the movies that come out of um, this, this, you know, this part of the the world can sometimes be really skewed Mm -hmm. by uh, the cultural differences. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Entirely. Mm -hmm. Because I, um... Just talking about that, like talking, uh, one of the biggest things for that's okay. Sorry, I'm trying to collect my thoughts on that because I agree 100%. And like we talked about the cultural differences with the Chinese, with honestly, just between Hong Kong and mainland China. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, like, uh, like I said before, Hong, uh, Hong Kong, like a lot of the Hong Kong cinema, they had to, pr- a lot, they had to, to get past censor boards, they would have to throw in kung fu and everything. And that's a big part of you know their uh, their culture chinese culture and uh, and everything and so like they got away with they were able to get away with tell, talking about you know having more telling more free free stories i would say like is probably the best way to go about it cuz like 
they, it, it, the Hong Kong filmmakers out like if they wanted to release something outside of Hong and to get out of Hong Kong, like they they had to silence their voice. Like um, Sui Hark, in the beginning, he had to actually change a bunch of his movies just to get past the the censorship board and everything. Oh. And there's a uh, one. I, I'm sorry, I have to pull up my my uh, fuck. Sorry, I'm trying to remember the, this big-name director we talked about on the last one. It's been a couple weeks since I've, I've looked at my notes. But there's this big-name director in the early years of Chinese cinema. And to get hit, and so he became really popular for kind of like these uh, testing the waters of the censorship board movies and everything. And to get his magnum, magnum opus out, which is basically his ver- uh, Chinese rendition of the uh, the book Phantom of the Opera, so he bases off the book, oh. not the movies. Uh-huh. Um, to get uh, to get his movie out, he not only had to liter- basically change everything about it because he was trying to talk about uh, pretty much talk about how he supported uh, Japanese rule over Chinese rule because they were uh, at war with each other at this time. He literally had to get the writer of the Chinese national anthem to help him rewrite his movie to the better cu- cultural norms. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So like that just, I was like, yeah, just in there is like, that's cool. So like just, uh, you know, misunderstanding cultural, the, you know, the uh, trying to understand different cultures and whatnot. It's also like super key with our understanding of these movies because we're not getting their, the actual cultural, etiquette that they try to put in their movies they're not we're not getting their actual messages because they had to get changed so much to get past the censorship boards wow was your director raymond yip no no okay no i'm get up while you were talking okay fair enough i'm sorry he did uh the guy the movie i think it's a a a song at midnight oh okay it's the name of the movie i'll look it up what a beautiful title i can't remember i think that's the movie. I know Midnight's in the title. I apologize. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, but um, so adding on, uh, so, uh, just to get back to it, so we can uh, learn more about all this stuff. Um, so the that so the uh, a Christmas uh, Chinese ghost story started the whole uh, fad of rom uh, romantic ghost movies that lasted throughout all the nineties, but. Another big, 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 big thing that happened in in the 80s for Hong Kong is in 1988, Hong Kong finally created its rating system. (laughs) So they could finally, they finally can, they can finally like rate movies. And that was also a big, big issue with all these movies before is there was no rating system either. So they couldn't like there was no way to tell what what would be allowed out in the movies and stuff like that outside of a board of directors, like a board of people saying, you know what? No, no, nah, no. You know, like this is wrong. This is wrong. But the rating board finally created a system so they could, so movies can be as crazy as they wanted and stuff. There wasn't, they didn't really have to hold back anymore. Oh, like wow. it was like insane for them. And sorry, I'm, Working while I talk to you. Damn it, Matt, you passed this on to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, because of years, decades of just, you know, suppression, movie suppression, and wanting, you know, like not being able to tell the movie you want and just all this, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're not allowed to show this. Like, I I can't think of the words, like, right now, I'm just like saying what they're for, you know, what they're doing. the directors and filmmakers went fucking ham 
at this time. So this rating allowed. So uh, horror movies took full, full like horror movie directors and producers took full, full advantage of the new category three rating because it is reserved for only adults. Ah. It is adult. That is their adult only rating, and they went ham. A shit ton of movies came out just full of sex, violence, and any, and I really mean any type of shameless content that you can think of. <laughs> um, and so uh, we're going to talk about three movies that this that really went ham in these. Uh, one of the earliest and most controversial of these of uh, these films is the 1988 Men Behind the Sun. Its very subject, it, its subject matter is the very controversial Unit Seven Thirty One, uh, Seven uh, Unit Seven Thirty One. It's a secret division. This is this is legit. Uh, like this was an actual thing that happened. It's based off of an actual thing that happened, and Unit Seven Thirty One actually happened. It was a secret division of the Japanese Army that conducted horrifying medical experiments on enemy civilians during the Sino-Japanese War. That's the one I was trying to t- that's the one I was trying to think of earlier, by the way. Okay. Yes. So Yeah, so this that that is an actual thing. Like Unit 731 is a legit thing. I highly recommend like if you want to hear some if you're if you want to hear some fucked up war crimes and stuff like that, go research them and stuff just it was crazy. It is scary. Um so it was directed by Mao Tun Fei um, and the movie, uh, so the, he handles all that material in such a graphic, exploitative manner. He actually used real violence against animals. Like, mm-hmm. yep. And it, and the movie includes an actual corpse of a little boy during the autopsy scene that's shown in there. Uh, so they used an act. Yeah. So when I said they want ham, they want fucking ham. <laughs> like, Ow. yeah. So it was released with. It, it was when it was released. It was just plagued with controversy because of everything that he did, and he received death threats for this movie. And I mean, kind of re- deservedly so. Mm. Gee, I wonder. Uh, wonder what the death threats are all for. <laughs> what would cause that? I just. Want, I want to know who the fuck signed off to let their kid be used as a as a you know their dead kid to be used. Right. I don't yeah. even, how does that conversation go? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, so, I have to we talk. got a deal for you. Yeah. <laughs> One of the stories that Nancy adopted it had uh, a, a, a monster killing a dog. Mm-hmm. And, oh. and we just put our heads together and said, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so real violence against animals. I can't even watch it in the movies. So. No, mm-hmm. I can't even read headlines. No. Yeah. So I would highly recommend not watch this movie. <laughs> it, it's it's good in that it's a, a piece of horror history cinema, yeah. but be aware of what you're getting into before like, you watch it. Yeah, like Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Like, <laughs> your discretion, really, be warned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For cereal. Um, and uh, just uh, one last thing about the movie. In 1999, in a 1999 interview with uh, the film, uh, with a film journal, the Offscreen, the, the journal's called Offscreen, uh, Mao claimed that the movie's first screening in mainland China, which I still can't believe they did it in mainla- mainland, um, even caused audiences to collapse and faint. And in the case of 16 un- unfortunate viewers, they had heart attacks. Oh, wow. Jesus movie 
<laughs> yeah. Um, did they? So, wow, did, did, do you know if they passed or were they okay? I, he didn't say after that. He just said they had heart attacks. I'm, I don't oh, think. Not gonna lie, if it got if a director was like abusing animals on set, I'm pretty certain he didn't phone up the families of those 16 people and go, "Hey, y'all right?" Yeah. Yeah, more than likely not. <laughs> I just I was wondering because I'm like. Like, how do you not walk around to, like, any party and be like, yeah, I'm the director that, like, hurts animals and gave people heart attacks. Like, how do you not, like, mention that? I don't know. I just, <laughs> yeah, it's you, just, this you know, is. I think when The Exorcist came out, there was all kinds of stuff happening out of it. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I don't know if it killed somebody, but it had people passing out and mm-hmm. getting sick and you know uh, at several of them they even had uh at some, like the big the big openings like uh they even had therapists and priests waiting outside the theater for the people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like you know that kind of stuff's like par for course that i'm not gonna lie like outside of the animal beating if i was mal i'd be like outside of the animal beating and you know using an actual little boy's dead body (laughs) like you would think that would be like a fucking badge of honor to be like yeah people were that scared of but in reality like everyone else is like no they're scared of what you did to those animals and actually seeing his legit dead body on screen. <laughs> no, you psycho. That's not you. You're missing the point. <laughs> you missed the point. <laughs> so, God. yeah. Um, so that that's probably the most controversial. The next two actually went on to they did not use actual dead bodies and did not destroy animals on set. That's um, good. But they are very uh, pretty controversial just with the subject matter that they touch on. And at the time, in my opinion, um, just because of the first movie, just sounds legitimately like a non-musical version of uh, Sweeney Todd. But um, but they just had excessive gore and violence and some really fucked up scenes in it. Um, but they stayed out of, uh, they ended up, because they didn't use all the excessive legit violence that Mao used, um, these two films became super hardcore, uh, uh, big cult hits and cult, and considered cult classics, but they're not really recommended for people who are super squeamish. Um, but the two movies, the first one is in 1990, uh, uh, sorry, I have to back up a little bit. So these two movies, uh, were actually collaborations between, uh, uh, director Herman Yao and act, uh, uh, actor Anthony Wong. Sorry, I could not say actor. It's <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, but so this, uh, these two movies were huge because they were collaborations between these two guys. Uh, Herman Yao was a fairly popular horror director at the time and up and coming, um, especially with, uh, with his over-the-top gratuitous violence of movies and anthony wong was an up-and-coming actor um and so in 1993 they released the untold story um in which wong plays a serial killer who slaughters an entire family including their young children and uh then takes over their family restaurant and uh then goes on killing people and using their bodies to serve uh as the dishes in the restaurant there you go so, yeah, like a, a, a more, I would say, a hardcore version of Sweeney Todd <laughs> without the music. Um, right. And then later on, Wong would basically play the same character in, uh, in the, his, their next movie, Ebola Syndrome. Um, it came out uh, in 1996. 
And he is the lead uh, where he is a psychopath who rapes and stabs a woman to death with chopsticks. Um, but before dying, she throws up on him and he gets Ebola. But he is immune. So since he's immune but can spread it, he goes on a huge rampage uh, from South Africa to Hong Kong. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> So and th- both those movies became cult hits and have be- are considered cult classics. Uh, they have a they're extremely dark humor, so really really dark comedies, um, and they're not recommended for anybody who's super squeamish. So gorehounds would love them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so but sadly, the horror industry really died off in the uh, in the mid '90s because in the mid 1990s the Hong Kong movie industry crashed hard and so did the movie and so along with that horror movies just basically kind of disappeared like off the face of the earth from mainland hong kong and a big reason of that too is because around this time mainland china was take uh was uh taking back control of hong kong so basically all mainland china mainland china's censorship board and censories like took over the Hong Kong rating board and like a lot of their stuff just got censored badly at this time. It was just terrible, but there were a couple movies that kind of came out there. Oh, like that were, they were considered decent. Um, in 1997, Herman Yao, uh, released troublesome night. Uh, it's a horror comedy anthology that has since spawned 19 sequels. Whoa. And the most recent one came out in 2017. Um, and then in 1998, a movie, uh, Biozombie, came out, and it's an homage to Dawn of the Dead. It's set in a shopping mall, and it's just a Chinese version of Dawn of the Dead. Ah. Yep. So I guess that would be a nice one to check out. But it was just, again, it was super hard. Like, not, uh, it's just in china at this time just a not a not a lot of things came out um and so that's just kind of how it's been since then so they just have a couple movies that come out that are like okay and the and not <laughs> and the biggest reason is because once they uh ha- started having to tailor their movie all these directors and everything had to tailor their movies for mainland china their censorship laws forbid any movies that promotes cults and superstitions and you couldn't do nudity and violence and like all of that stuff basically went away, had to go away. And so basically their movie scenes kind of like regressed back to like pre 1980s <laughs> and everything. So, huh. yeah, that's that's kind of the wrap up of like Chinese horror uh, horror cinema. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff going out now, but again, like there's not a whole lot coming out just because of the hardcore censorships and also just trade trade laws and whatnot. Like they're just super weary about their movies. And also like when it comes to these censorship boards, China's censorship boards are kind of like Korea's in a sense, like or at least North Korea way, especially back then um because if the movie showed any way possible of showing the country and any sour light it's not going to get released wow yep so so yeah that's uh that's the history of chinese horror <laughs> or what i got for the history of chinese horror and i'm sure like there's a lot more like i'm and a lot of it as i'm sure has changed uh to the present day and everything but wasn't able to find a whole lot it's actually kind of hard to get stuff that's not released and they don't like releasing a lot of their you know mm-hmm. history 
<laughs> I'm really glad I, I heard this because I've been meaning to see a Chinese ghost story forever. Um, I know it's not your favorite, but it's oh, no. still but part it of horror history. When you're reading, you know, it, it, they'll, they'll mention that movie, and I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta watch that. I gotta, and I always forget. So <laughs> I'm reminded yet again. Well, there you go. Cool. <laughs> and, and I'm still going to give it a watch because like, even though I'm not huge on the horror romantic, like romantic horror movies, like it's an important movie in horror history, especially just like in Chinese horror history. And I love I love J horror and K horror like yeah. Korean, especially mm-hmm. South Korean horror right now is probably like skyrocketed into my top three favorite genres. Mm-hmm. So like I I have to give it a watch too. <laughs> like it's part of horror history. <laughs> I have to tell you I'm totally into ghostly romances. Um, oh. <laughs> the Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. I thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a series and uh fell in love with the the ghost a sea captain and um I I've actually written a novel that has a ghostly uh um, romance in it. So, yeah, I'm totally into it, so I have to see this movie. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> hey, if it's your, you know, if it's your thing, all the poor power to you. <laughs> yeah, and, and I would no, say, no and I'll, and I'll, here. You know? and I'll happily be an advocate about it, even if it's, like, something you're not a big fan of. Um, I'm all about expanding your horizons and your worldview, so it's good to hear about these recommendations and these references just so I can understand it better because personally I would like better frame of reference than scary movie two when it comes to ghosts loving humans. So <laughs> I'm glad that I have more stuff to actually check out that, that has a little bit more, uh, not such comedic value, but more of like an important <laughs> value. You feel me? Not saying that comedy isn't important, but you know, it's just definite different dynamics when you're being drawn across the ceiling and, you know, having the time of your life. So I feel like these movies put it in a more appropriate type of manner in that respect. <laughs> oh, ghouls, gals, creeps, and mutants. Whether it is ghost-loving humans or Mary Shelley presenting tales of supernatural terror or even just mummies, snoring mummies, um, (laughs) you're always going to learn something new on the Punk Rock Horror Podcast. First and foremost, thank you so much again to you, Debbie and Nancy, for coming on and for hanging out with us and talking with us, especially to you, Debbie. I know you weren't feeling too hot, so I appreciate you pulling through and and, uh, hanging out with us. It was fun. From the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) wait what (laughs) um yes thank you for coming on today one more time uh where can everybody go if they want to pick up their own copy and where can they go to support chimera press okay our website is chimerapress.com and that's with a k k y m e r a press.com and uh, it, we, Mary Shelley Presents is also on Amazon. So, ghouls, gals, creeps, mutants, please go ahead and check out Mary Shelley's Tales of Supernatural. Support Chimera Press. Get yourself a copy. And just in general, check out their website. If horror isn't really your thing, which you probably, it's probably interesting if you're listening to a horror themed podcast and horror yeah. isn't. I question well, your life decisions if you're listening welcome to, to, yeah. welcome to the community. We open our dead arms to you. But now, I say one more thing. 
Yes, of course. I want all the people out there to put their good energy towards Nancy so she wins the Bram Stoker Award. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Also, oh, I, I, because I also have one last thing that I want to say before we wrap things up, <laughs> if you don't mind. Although I say a big happy birthday to Undead Matt here. <laughs> today oh, as of its recording may 10th so for future edition renditions and all you uh all our listeners may 10th um is our awesomely 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 uh co-host undead matt he does so much for this podcast and for real like i've said before with crystal but i'm going to say it again like i don't know where i would be with this podcast without you man so Aww. I hope wish you a happy birthday, and I hope it, the rest of the day is super, super lovely for you. Thank you. Happy birthday. Everywhere, people dying everywhere. Happy birthday. That was lovely. Thank you. Thank y'all. <laughs> I'm gonna make that a ringtone. <laughs> um. No, seriously, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. I, I, I'm, I'm one more year closer to being undead. So, uh, <laughs> you know, take that how you will. No, legitimately though, thank you so much. I do appreciate that. Um, cools, gals, creeps, immunes, good vibes aside. If you want to support the show or even running with those good vibes, please check us out on Facebook and our Twitter, Parker Core Podcast, and official PRHP. You can also support the show on. Instagram, Punk Rock Horror Podcast, hashtag PRHP Podcast. You can also follow me there at The Undead Matt and also Cody on Twitter at Krampus Cody. Please check us out on TikTok. We do have a TikTok where we're putting videos up on there pretty regularly, at least one video every week. Sometimes we're going to put in some content from movies that we're reviewing to just some of our favorite quotes from the show. So please check it out. Um, and we're also, again, on Slasher, the app, the social horror app. Now we are on there as well. So come find us on there. And uh, ghouls, gals, creeps, mutants. Again, support Chimera Press. Support Mary Shelley Presents Tales of the Supernatural. And we're going to go ahead and close out the gates to this dungeon and talk about horror with you next time. Again, Nancy and Debbie, thank you for coming on. And we hope you have a terrific night. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.